Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode number seven of the Beyond Football Show. I'm delighted to be joined by Jimmy Shan uh, this evening on the podcast. How are you, mate? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, all good, all good. Uh, good. So, Jimmy Shan is obviously a professional football coach, having worked with Solihull Moors, Kidderminster Harriers, uh, West Bromwich Albion, and Birmingham City. We're delighted to have him on as a guest and uh, find out a bit more about his career and uh, his coaching and coaching philosophy. So um, I guess my first question uh, would be to what got you into football uh, in the first place at a really sort of young age? What were your first sort of football memories? I think just uh, football, you know, via participation, you know, playing in the, in the playground at school um, and then joining a football team and then taking it serious as, as I started to progressing a little bit older in secondary school and, school football teams, district football, county football. And um, of course, then you have the dreaded scout on the side of the pitch and everyone gets to yeah. know the faces of, of who's who, what kind of, what kind of club they're from, et cetera, you know? So um, yeah, just a, just a buzz and a, and, a, and a love for the game, really. Amazing. What, what, were your, um, what were your local teams called at the time? Who did you play for? So the very first one was a, a, a team called Kitwell Swifts. Um, so that was the area that I grew up in. Um, and then I played for locally, a team called Barley Green, which again is another another local team to where I grew up. Um, Shenley Green, Halso in town, and then was fortunate enough to, to to have some trials and spent about six months at West Brom as an under thirteen year old, mm -hmm. um, and then went into Warsaw as a, as a 15, 16 year old. So you know, quite fortunate to to play with and make many many friends locally, and and then you know have the opportunity to go into a couple of professional football clubs when I was at school. Amazing. So obviously that early stage of your career, was it, um, was it football purely as sort of as a hobby and something that you just enjoyed? And obviously you, you ended up having it, you know, been able to make a career out of it. Or was it something that you went into sort of at a younger age thinking like this is this is sort of my lifelong dream. This is this, you know, this is what I want to do and be involved in the sport as you know, as my career. Yeah, I think definitely aspirations of, of wanting to be a footballer, professional footballer. And, you know, of course, when you're, when you're very, very young, it is just that participation. It's, you know, having fun with your friends. And um, I guess as you, as you get a little bit older, finding that you're not too bad. Um, and, you've, you know, you're, you, you, you know, you've got a, you're probably one of the better players within the team and, and then start to get some interest. But, yeah, from a younger age, you know, I wanted to, my, my ideal profession was to become a footballer. Amazing, amazing. So when did it sort of turn from, was there a particular event or um, was it just your interest sort of going in, going in sort of a different direction? When did it turn from wanting to be a professional footballer to obviously go more into coaching and more of that side of the game? Um, yeah, so kind of, kind of forced by me a little bit. So in my under 16 year at, at Warsaw, I unfortunately broke my ankle at school. Um, oh, wow. So my, my last year at school and I had a YTS offer on the table from Warsaw that was kind of moved to one side and put on hold. And it was said that I was going to be given three months to, to try and earn a contract as a, as a, as a, as a white, young YTS. Unfortunately, at that time, I went back in the pre-season, did about three weeks, four weeks, mm -hmm. and they kind of read the, read the signs that maybe, you know, I wasn't going to be fit enough or strong enough to be able to, you know, warrant a, a YTS contract. Um, and then moved into playing for, again, some, you know, some pretty local teams in terms of, under 18 league, Mid Midland Flooded Junior League. Um, I played for Stourbridge and Bilston Town. And again, whilst at those clubs, you know, I had lots of interest from football clubs. Went to Torquay United, Lincoln City, Sheffield Wednesday, Cambridge United. And I kind of did the rounds as a, as a, as a young player. And, you know, I was still getting interest from, you know, from some decent clubs and, and still thought the opportunity was there. And it wasn't probably until the, 
of the age of about 19 where I thought maybe my career needs to start moving in a different direction and being upfront and, and honest with you and, and frank with you that I kind of become a little bit disheartened. Um, I wouldn't say I gave up on the opportunity, but, you know, I, I realised that, you know, I was becoming a young man now. I needed to earn some money and I maybe looked to go in a different direction. And, and it wasn't coaching. You know, I went and worked with my my next door neighbour. Um, he fitted air conditioning. Um, I just had 11 months in Australia and it wasn't until I came back from Australia at the age of 21 that I just fell into, fell into coaching. So one of the teams that I've mentioned, Shelley Green, um, the manager that took the, the team all the way through from under nines, all the way through to under 16s, under 17s, he started again and asked if I'd give him a little bit of a hand in a, in a tournament. I went, thoroughly enjoyed it. And then it was via him. He said, look, Birmingham City Football Club are doing some coaching qualifications. Why don't you enroll? You know, you seem to have a, a bit of a passion for it. And, you know, I never looked back since that, since that day, really. Brilliant. So obviously you mentioned um, Birmingham City. Uh, did, did you go in um, sort of as a, it was, was it under sevens level you went in from my, from sort of my research? No, you so, went to academy manager, didn't you, after that? Or? Yeah, so Birmingham City, when I, when I first started coaching, I, I, I was fortunate enough to get a job in the, in the community scheme, which is, mm -hmm. you know, grassroots based. It's going into schools, before school uh, clubs, after school clubs, your fun weeks, your holiday courses, your development centres, and then fell into, into the academy. So when I first started at Birmingham, it was the sevens and eights that, that, I, that I first got um, introduced to. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, you know, it, it progressed quite quickly that I'd spent about six, seven weeks and, and was offered the under 12 um, age group on a part-time basis. I did the 12s for probably about two years before being offered a, a full-time role within the academy. And um, that role uh, held the, the, the title for 12 months as assistant academy manager which meant that, you know, it was great for my development and my progression. I worked with under sevens all the way through to under 18s and, you know, was, was coaching pretty much nearly every minute of every day. So it was a, you know, wow. a valuable, valuable experience in my, in my learning. Amazing, amazing. So obviously that experience early on, do you think that, um, you know, helped go on and shape, um, you know, your more recent experiences, obviously as a head coach and assistant manager? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I just had a, had a thirst for, for working with players and developing players. And, mm. you know, if you're, if you're not to be a footballer, the next best thing, I guess, is to, is to teach it and, you know, and try and, try and give some information and, and some wisdom and um, encouragement to the next generation. And, and, and that's exactly what I did. And as I say, you know, looking, looking back at my early years in, in my coaching career, I was, I was seven days a week and, you know, and every hour that was, was presented that I could get on the grass and, and coach and, um, regardless of the age group, you know, I, I did it, and um, I guess it stood, it stood me in good stead for for my career. Yeah, towards towards where I am now. Amazing, amazing. So obviously, how long did it take when you were at Birmingham City to sort of realise? Obviously, something you've been offered to help out. You know, with one of your former teams, you'd gone to Birmingham City on a recommendation. When did that sort of turn from that into you know like an obsession, and you kind of thought, you know, look, I'm having I'm having success here let's try and work my way up the ladder and see what sort of further opportunities are out there. Very quickly. And I think, I think looking back now, it's probably other people that probably seen a little bit more in, in myself than I did at that moment in time. You know, I was, mm. I was grateful just to, you know, put the kit on the training kit on and, you know, and, and tell everybody that I worked for Birmingham City Football Club. And yeah, yeah, I was, I was prepared to take it, you know, day by day, step by step and, and just wanting to, wanting to be in that learning environment wanting to watch as many coaches work as I possibly could. And, and it was the staff at Birmingham that, that, that pushed me. And, and dare I use the word and the phrase, they, they fast-tracked me. You know, I, looking back now, 
when I was full time at Birmingham, you know, I was very, very, very inexperienced. Um, mm. you know, if I was an academy manager, I probably wouldn't employ myself at that moment in time. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. way, way too soon. So, you know, I think, I think other people seeing things, you know, within me and I knew that I had that, that, that word you've used there, that obsession. You know, as I yeah. said, you know, when I, when I wasn't working, I was sat on the, on the edge of the dome with a notepad, pen and paper, writing down sessions, being inquisitive, asking questions, trying to learn. And um, I guess they probably seen that, you know, I had a, had a passion and, you know, I had a, had a growth mindset. Amazing. So do, do you think, I mean, I guess in wider life, wider than football coaching, do you think that obsession, I think is a fair word to use, um, you know, do you think that obsession is important to sort of get where you want to be in life, in your chosen craft, whether you're, you know, a musician or actor or, you know, where you're involved in football or whatever it might be? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, and I've got the, always had the mentality that whatever I do, I, you know, I put my heart and soul into it. And I think that's yeah. vitally important. Obviously, with, with football and the career of football, it's very, very different to um, previous jobs that, that must, I, I've held myself that, you know, I wanted to do it. And I think that helps as well. You know, I think when yeah. you have that, that natural enjoyment and that passion for something, it naturally becomes easier to, to throw yourself into it and, you know, and, and be in that environment and wanting to bet yourself and wanting to, wanting to improve. So, um, and, and I guess as well, you know, football can be a, a ruthless world. And, you know, I've probably found that out in the last 12 months, you know, more than, more than most people that, you know, it, it, things can, can change and move very, very quickly. And I think you have to make sure that you equip yourself with the right tools to be able to, help, you know, hold yourself accountable in, in very situations. So, you know, the players, if, if, you, if you're unable to structure a session, control a session and give good tactical and technical information, you know, players will see straight through that. Likewise, I think is, is equally important. I think you've got to have that, that, that warm character and that personality that, you know, that, that people want to work for and, and want to be in around. And I think that's probably missed a little bit. Um, if I rewind the clock back to, you know, being fast-tracked, it was a, a gentleman by the name of Stuart Hawley was the academy manager at Burnham at the time. And mm. I said to Stuart, I said, Stuart, I'm, I'm not ready for this. This is, this is when I went into the role as, as a part-time under 12 coach. And he said, look, he said, remember this, and remember this always, that, 75% of coaching is personality. He said, you've got a good one. Yeah. People like you as a person. Um, you know, the, the, the detail and the te- te- technical and tactical information and everything else around the game. Yes, that has an importance, but, you know, you have to have a, a personality, a coaching personality. And, and that's something, you know, I've, that, that stuck with me throughout my career and, and something I try and get from the players as well. You know, I want the players to have a personality as well. I want them to express themselves. And, um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think those, those, those things have been, been vitally important. Do you, do you think that's obviously somebody who, you know, you talked about starting your career sort of at the found, very foundation stage of football. Do you think that's an important part? I mean, you know, because I'm involved in sort of grassroots football myself. You know, I take a younger lads and that's something I try and like drum into them, to, you know, to have their own personalities on the pitch and to enjoy football and, you know, not being scared to having time on the ball and building that sort of confidence. I mean, is that something that you sort of sort of agree with in your, you know, the early stages of your career as well? I think, yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think fundamentally, you know, with, you know, whether it's grassroots level or within the academy that, you know, and wherever you operate and wherever, whatever level you work, people have got to come and they've got to come ready to enjoy their work. Yeah, you know, it, it can't. It can't be a chore. It can't be. It can't. It, when you when you when it's your profession, it, it it can't feel like work. It still has to have that level of enjoyment. And cool. yes, you have to be disciplined and you have to be professional in many many aspects. But I think I think the enjoyment level is is vitally important. I, I think I think that you know if 
if any of us in any walk of life, if we enjoy something, we're naturally going to going to learn and absorb more information and you know and, and progress and develop quicker anyway. So I think first and foremost, you know that that element of fun. But I also mm. think you can, you know, you can you can be a teacher of the game and you can educate people. You know, whether that's via stopping and having that more command style of coaching or via your session design and you know your, your practice is, is is generating your coaching points. So yeah, I think first and foremost that it's fundamental that you know players you know players are. Uh, are attending your sessions to have fun. Amazing. So obviously after Birmingham City, you obviously moved on to uh, West Brom. Um, I'm interested to find out a little bit more um, how that actually came about in those sort of early stages, because obviously West Brom, which we'll get into uh, in a moment, you know, you spent a large part of uh, your career there, worked right the way through the club. And obviously I'm a big Baggies fan and, you know, I'm sure you felt the love from all the West Brom supporters sort of, uh, you know, over the years and still, uh, you know, for the job, um, you know, the time you came in and helped us. So, so how did that sort of move initially come about to, um, to come to West Brom? So a little bit by default. So as I said, I, my, my last position at Birmingham was assistant academy manager. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of on, a, on, a, on, a, on an interim basis. So the academy manager, Stuart Hall, he, he, he left. The assistant manager, academy manager, Richard Stevens, who is now the academy manager at West Brom, he stepped up to become academy manager, bumped me into a full-time position, but it was... It was just for a year, um, okay. you know, and it was on the on the say so of, of of meetings between Richard and Karen and the board at that moment in time, and they decided to go in a different direction, and they brought Terry Wesleyan, um, the then recruitment officer at, at Birmingham City, Steve Hopcroft. He left and went across to West Brom, I think, for his second. I think it was his second spell. He was there for for a year, about a year before that, um, and he recommended to Dan Ashworth, who was a kind of manager at the time at West Brom, that you know there was a the potential that. I wouldn't be offered a full-time job and, you know, the, the essential part for, for my next progression in my career was to, to make sure, you know, I, I cemented a full-time position within an academy and kind of spoke to Dan and Terry at the same time. And um, Dan just blew me away. I, you know, Dan's, uh, Dan's from afar, Dan is still a mentor to this day. He's still somebody that I'd, I'd go to and, you know, and ask for advice, and, you know, whatever it may be, whether it be recruitment of players, contractual issues, just about the game technically and tactically. Um, and he blew me away down with, with a vision that he had for the academy at West Brom. And I think at that stage, I think West Brom had been an academy just for one year. They'd, yeah. they'd gone from being a, being a centre of excellence to an academy. Um, and then the facilities, you know, the, the full-size dome that they had, the indoor pitch, which not a lot of clubs across the land at that, moment, at that, at that time had access to doing, you know, an indoor pitch that they could work on the, on the game tactically in an 11v11 capacity. So... Pretty much Dan blew me away and um, offered me a role. Um, I think he kind of made up a role for me, which again, very similar to when I first went into Birmingham, it enabled me to work with under sevens all the way through to under 16s. And on the other occasion, you know, fortunate to get down the, the training ground and watch the 18s work, the reserves work and the first team work, which, you know, it added to, to my learning. Amazing. So, so, I mean, that sort of leads really nicely into my next question. Like, how was obviously moving to West Brom and that role that you picked up, how sort of was important was that in your sort of coach development and, um, you know, and, and sort of progressing as, a, as, you know, as, as an individual at that time? We use a phrase about doing the hard yards, you know, and, and that's, yeah. that's putting the hours in and, um, you know, making sure you get as much contact with, with players as you possibly can and, you know, and, and making many mistakes. And I think, you know, it's something that I've never been afraid to do. I've always been maybe at times a little bit too critical of, of myself mm. when I look back and review sessions or halftime talks or, 
game plans or things that I could have done within a game. But it's really, really important that, you know, I had an opportunity to, again, probably be on the grass and, and coaching two or three times a day, um, six, seven days a week sometimes also, um, you know, and, and enabled me to make loads of mistakes and, and learn and grow. And, you know, if I was repeating a session on the same day, you know, sometimes that happens, sometimes at work and the, the, the topic for the technical program remained the same from under nine, so went through to 16. So maybe in the daytime, I'd work with an under 15 age group and on the evening work with an under 13 age group or under 14 age group and might just, you know, learn from my mistake in maybe a session not flowing. Um, yeah. The area size is too big or too small, something, you know, something as simple as that and give me an opportunity to amend it and, you know, and, and find out what works. So, yeah, those, those contact hours and that, that grass contact time was, was vitally important to, 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 to my learning. Amazing, amazing. So obviously, um, I think you slightly touched on it there, but at West Brom with the academy at that time as you were coming through, was it very much sort of a, um, what's the best word to you, almost like a, like a set curriculum you were working to as you were going through with the teams, like you had, say, I don't know, like in possession, out of possession, transition, or was it sort of something where um, you were maybe reviewing uh reviewing games and sort of bringing that into the practice like how how did that sort of work going through the uh going through the academy well these are the things that that we didn't quite have at birmingham we had a a probably a a looser technical program at birmingham and at west Mm. brom it was more specific which it really helped me in terms of you know knowing having a focus on what topic i was working for a duration so just like in a a school a school would have a a curriculum um yeah at west bromwich Albion, there's a there's a there was there was a technical program that was a curriculum which you know would have defending one week passing one week receiving the next week crossing finishing heading ball protection so those mm. things spanned over over a 40-week period we also had a position specific program um which broke down into obviously the, the goalkeeping coach which most clubs would have would work with the goalkeepers be a, a fullback position center back position center midfielders wide players and center forwards so um there was there were some sessions that were um, prescribed sessions, so pretty much the position specific program was prescribed. But obviously, with that, you know, as a coach, you've got to bring it to life, you know. So yeah, somebody would, would there'd be a session presented to you which would stick to. Um, obviously, you can your interpretation of that session, how you bring to that life is is down to yourself. But with the with the curriculum, it was more so um, coaching points. Um, so, for example, passing in the nines would, would be very, very basic. So it might be one of the passes for under nine might just be that punch pass. So making contact with the inside of your foot, mm-hmm. making contact through the middle of the ball and punching it nice and clean on the ground. And that that would just be wording. So you'd have to formalise a session, you know, think of a session and, and make sure that your session met the objectives that were within the curriculum. So a little bit of both. I actually found, um, actually found it a really good process that one, I was given something by somebody to, to bring to life and, and put my yeah. stamp on it. And then two, you know, for probably probably 80% of the program, you know, you, I, was, I was left to my own devices to, you know, devise sessions and, you know, be imagine, imaginative with sessions. And, you know, going back to my point, you know, knowing what worked and what didn't work, you know, which fast forward to where I am now, I've probably got a bank of about 30, 40 sessions that I'll stick to because one, I know they're enjoyable for the players. Yeah. Two, I know I get my, I get my coaching points out and, um, you know, the, the, the sessions that I know work well for myself and, and, and for the players. Amazing, amazing. So obviously that early time you spent at, um, at West Brom, do you think that was sort of an important time? Because what I'm sort of getting from what you're saying is like that was where you sort of 
start to think about your own philosophies and sort of grow and develop was that sort of the the early stage you can almost pinpoint and think right you know this is where I started to really put my identity on you know on my teams and you know on the ways they sort of play yeah I think going back to that early conversation we've done you know it was a was a philosophy from from the football club at West Brom and yeah you know AD, AD Booth fried Dan Ashworth Mark Harrison had a, had a big input into it, obviously became academy manager when Dan stepped up you know and there was a blueprint of of how they wanted the game to be played and right unfortunately for me and, and many coaches that that work for work for West Brom you know it, it also kind of kind of married married up with my own philosophies right, and how you know so I grew with the program and I think the program grew with me I think probably more importantly that that what I definitely did in my time at West Brom was I think I think a lot of time when you're a younger coach, you be, you, you can be a copycat coach. So mm-hmm. you look at a coach and you're you I like his manner, I like his detail, I like this, I like his sessions, I like how he intervenes, and you almost become a copycat version of that. Yeah. I've probably done that within my. I've been coaching 20, 21 years now. In that twenty-one year, I've probably done that with four or five coaches. Whereas towards the latter stages at West Brom, I became myself. You know, yeah. so I. I would have I would have looked at Dan Ashworth's work and gone, I like that. I like X, Y, and Z, and almost feel yourself like a, a bit like an actor. Always almost feel yourself when you're coaching, delivering, being that person. And then it would have been mm. Mark Harrison. It would have been a little bit of Stuart Hall, a bit of Dick Bate, who's no longer with us, a um, bit of Keith Downing. You know, yep. looking at some first team managers from afar. And I think I think what was really really beneficial to me and really important for me is that time at West Brom and on my journey, I became myself and. I'd like to think that Jimmy Shan now has got his own identity on on his mannerisms, on his detail, on his coaching points and and everything. So that was that was invaluable for me. Amazing, amazing. And so I think obviously the names that you've um, obviously some of the names that you mentioned, Dan Ashworth, uh, A.D. Boothroyd, were these sort of um, your I guess mentors and people who um, sort of helped you develop through the club, is there, or is there sort of any other names um, that you haven't mentioned who were sort of I guess influential? Um, you know, in your sort of rise through, um, you know, helping you with that rise through West Brom. Many, many, many names. Yeah, we, I mean, with with, with AD, I, I never never actually worked with AD at West Brom. AD had, had left and progressed, and I think AD was, um, you know, on his on his on his journey with Watford at that time when I went when I went across to West Brom. So mm-hmm. yeah, lots of names. The first one was the first one that stands out is Stuart Hall, who um, not not many people will know his name. Stuart's a, a local lad from Briley or House Owen. Um, he worked at Birmingham and then he's been abroad for the last 15, 15, 16, 17 years. And Stuart's a very, very, very good coach. Um, I think if he'd remained in England, I think lots of people would know who he is. Yeah. Um, he, he delivered on the A license. So he was probably the first one. And then during my time at West Brom, you know, I've been very, very fortunate that Dan Ashworth was academy manager. Mark Harrison, who's the academy manager now at Aston Villa, had a big impact on my career. We're also, and I think West Brom maybe were fortunate at this moment in time, and that's not to not to blow smoke up the backsides of the people I'm going to mention now and myself included. But within within an academy, at one one moment, what any given moment in time, you had Mark Harrison, Dan Ashworth, Aaron Danks, who's um, went on to work with England, who's just landed yeah. a job at Anderlecht with Vincent Company, Keith Downing, obviously he progressed to the to the first team, Michael Appleton, um, Mike Scott, Ryan May. You know, there was a there's a whole heap of coaches who had the same kind of mindset of wanting to learn, wanting to wanting to develop and improve, um, who have gone on and, and achieved, you know, very, very good things within the game. Mark Naylor, a goalkeeping coach who, you know, he probably probably was a longest servant 
um, serving acad academy member of staff at West Brom, who's now goalkeeping coach, you know, at Aston Villa and within the academy, who also works with the first team. So we had a we had a really good crop of of young, enthusiastic coaches who would bounce ideas off each other, who wouldn't be afraid to say, look, that didn't work quite well enough, and you know, and the person who was receiving that information not to be offended by it. But to be inquisitive, go on, what would you do differently? And yeah, and we and we learned and we grew together, you know. So we were we were really fortunate to have a have a really good pool of pool of staff. And I think, you no, know, no, not just the people in senior positions, but you know, your peers, we we learn off each other. And um, you know, again, I keep using the word invaluable. You know, I, I look back fondly on on my time at West Brom and, and wouldn't change it for a thing. Darren Moore, Jamie Smith, another another two names, you know. So, you know, people who have gone on and, and progressed all the way through the academy system and, you know, and achieving very, very good things on, on their personal, personal levels. Amazing. Amazing. So obviously um, with the academy, obviously you took mentioned Darren Moore there, obviously you were obviously you were put in the position where you came in, obviously took over from Darren Moore as caretaker manager, sort of sprung into the, into the spotlight. Um, how was that sort of experience from being, you know, a, you know, obviously a great academy coach to sort of taking over from, um, you know, I know, you and Darren, I know you've said before in interviews, you've got a good, really good, strong relationship. Um, yeah, how was that? How was taking over from him and obviously going into the world of the, of the first team? It was difficult. Um, you know, when, when Darren stepped up to the caretaker role when Alan Pardew left, you know, it was myself that stepped up with him. Um, mm. Wayne Jacobs came in from, a, from afar and, and, and watched from a different, different lens point. You know, so I did them six games with him. He then offered me to, you know, the chance to stay on his first team staff, you know, and become first team coach. And then, then the first team staff, you know, became Darren as, as head coach. Wayne Jacobs, who did three, three or four days a week, assistant manager, Graham Jones, assistant manager, myself, first team coach. So, you know, when Darren moved on, it wasn't just Darren moving on. It was Graham and Wayne, Wayne that went with him. And yeah. you know, me being part of that role and part of, part of his staff, I thoroughly expected to go as well. So it was, it was, First and foremost, you know, not the um, not the pressures of taking taking the responsibility and taking the reins as as you know caretaker manager at West Bromwich Albion Football Club, who are you know promotion hunting within the Championship. The, the the most difficult thing was, you know, being part of a staff that was no longer, and then people moving yeah. on, and you know, and and I mean, I found that very very difficult. You know, it it took me a long 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 time to to come to terms with that. I felt a little bit like I was portraying them, you know, even though okay. I'd spoke to Moro and spoke to Jake's and spoke to Graham and they said, look, listen, you just crack on. You've got to look after yourself. You know, it's nothing's been, it's been thrusted upon you. You crack on and deal with it. And I think, I think once I had that reassurance from them, um, you know, and, you know, it was game by game for probably, for, for probably the first four games, you know, so there was never expectation of I was going to, going to see this on a, on a, on a three and a half month period, like I, like I ended up doing. It was game by game and, just took it, you know, day by day and, and game by game. And I think, I think looking at it from looking back at it now, it was no different really to when I did work in the academy, when I did mm -hmm. take the 23s, because yeah, you plan and prepare the sessions the same, you plan and prepare the games exactly the same. The only difference is, and you know, and, and it is a big difference, you know, you're doing it in, in, in full of packed arenas. But I've been asked the question many a time, you know, once, once the whistle went and it was a game. Yes, there's an atmosphere and you can feel it and you can sense it, but my focus was purely on, on, the, on the pitch and, and that pitch with those 22 players on could have been anywhere. It could have been at the training ground. Yeah. It could have been at Kidderminster Harriers, you know, where the 23s used to play. 
it could have literally been, any, been anywhere. So, you know, it was a, a, a position that was thrusted upon me, as, as you said, but, you know, once I got over the shock of, of you know, my, 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 my colleagues and, and my manager departing, one that I thoroughly enjoyed. Amazing, amazing. So obviously, what was your sort of initial priorities? It was, it was Swansea, wasn't it? The first game that you took charge. What was yeah. the what was your initial priorities sort of going into um, that game? Well, if we go back to to the, to the game that, that that Moro left upon, you know, that's that was the same day that I spoke to Mark Jenkins and, and Luke Dowling and, and and Ken up in the boardroom. Um, you know, I was unaware that they'd been sacked until it until it came out from. You know, from 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 that meeting, um, they said, "Look, Jimmy, we want, we want you to be caretaker. We're not too not too sure the direction we're going to go, but you know, the remit is to to, to make sure we cement a playoff place." Um, and and that was it. With regards to the Swansea game, it literally was just take care of the next game. Right. You know, yeah, Darren yeah. went on the Saturday. I think that game was on a Tuesday night, so you know you don't have much thinking time and much time to operate and work with the players. And it was just get to the next game. We had a really good result. I didn't enjoy the performance. Um, you know, I didn't enjoy the performance one bit, but it was a fantastic result. And that result, you know, then led me, led me to taking the team against Brentford, then Birmingham. And I think maybe after maybe after the Preston game, it was announced that I'd be I'd be taking the uh, taking the team. You know, to the end of the season. Amazing. So obviously, um, you know, we went you went through those games, and then obviously we got to the playoffs. Um, I mean. The I think the atmosphere um, at the Hawthorns for those two games was one of the best sort of um, you know that that I've witnessed and seen in, in a long long time. Uh, sort of talk to me about I guess it must have been such a whirlwind time for you the whole sort of experience and I guess talk to me more about the the playoffs and going into those games and sort of how how did you as a coach sort of structure and plan obviously with the added pressure of the of the local rivalry, obviously, what was at stake with, um, you know, obviously potential promotion to the Premier League as well. Yeah, I think I think I think it's probably different because because it was a caretaker role and you know and something that yeah within within my mind throughout the whole journey and even even they when they said look you know you're going to take it in the season it was it was just living day by day and because the games become was so, so thick and fast throughout the whole whole time of of doing the caretaker role, I didn't really have any time to think so. You know that, yeah, it's it's a it's a playoff, and you know the the rewards and the merit of of getting promoted is massive. You know the the financial rewards are, are huge to the football club, and um, you know, but in in my mind, it was just game planning. It was Aston Villa. We've got them at Villa Park, and we've got them at Hawthorns. We play them over two over two legs. Yeah, that's game plan. You know, so obviously the the game plan from the from the away leg to the home leg was slightly different. Um, I knew going to Villa Park, and obviously they they come into some unbelievable form. I think they won ten on the bounce to get into the playoffs, and you know they had some 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 fantastic form going into the playoffs. Um, we'd lost our last game against against Derby. Um, we had Hal Robson Carnu sent off in that game, which meant he was going to miss the playoffs, which again is another forward threat that you know we could have we could have really utilised during those those two games. And I'm a big admirer of, of Hal. I think he's a fantastic player. Um, Great servant. Great servant for it. Fantastic, for club, really. yeah. Um, you know, so I, I knew going to Villa Park, we had to strip their their qualities and their threats. So both wide players had a, had a big threat. You've got John McGinn, who's you know who's who's probably been one of the better 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 performers in in, in that central midfield role in in the, in the Premier League over the last two seasons. 
Um, Jack Grealish, you know, he's, he's been branded one of the best players in, in world football and, you know, England's best, best prospect. So, you know, there were lots and lots of players that we had to try and strip their threat. Mm. Um, I'd experienced going to Villa Park, obviously, as a, as a first-team coach when, when Darren was in charge. And, you know, we were fortunate to, you know, to, to, be, to be the victors of that. I think we won 2-0 at, at Villa Park that season. Mm-hmm. Um, but the atmosphere was electric. So I knew we had to try and stifle the atmosphere because um, it can be quite an, an, an intimidating ground. Um, and we, we had to try and stay in the game. So my game plan was to strip their threat, defend a little bit deeper. Um, and I thought we could really hurt them on the turnover, on the counter. Yeah. I also thought if we had a spell in possession, we could really, really hurt them and get either side of their, their holding midfield play, which was Glenn Willing in the first game and, and Connor Hurahan in the second game. Um, you know, so that was the game plan for the, for the, for the first leg. Obviously, we're a goal behind and, and things have to change, you know, going into, into, into the home tie. So there's a bit of a rally cry from myself and us as a football club to get you supporters behind us. As you, as you quite rightly said, the atmosphere was electric and, and something I've never witnessed at the Hawthorns, you know, my, my 13 years at, at West Brom. Um, and we just tried to take the game a little bit more to, to Aston Villa and, mm-hmm. and try and press a little higher up the pitch. And we knew the, import, the, the, the importance of that early goal was, was really important. And obviously just on the, on, on the evening, um, you know, being reduced again to 10 men in that second leg with, with Chris getting sent off and then enduring that extra time and, having to make changes and, you know, our, some of our offensive threats and, you know, our penalty takers being off the pitch for penalties, you know, it's just a little bit of a, a stretch too far. But in terms of the experience, it, I, don't, I don't know whether I'm, I'm unique in saying this. It was just, it was another game. Yeah, I knew the magnitude of the game. but Of course, yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, it's my, my process. That's probably the best way to explain it. My process didn't change. It was right then, what's, what do we need to do? How are we going to do it? deliver it on the grass, this is how we're going to do it, explain it in, in team meetings and then, you know, hopefully the players cross the white line and, you know, and, that, and they get you over the line. Amazing, amazing. So obviously you, you mentioned um, what, one thing, I guess, I guess in, in general, delivering things sort of on the grass from your philosophies to, to getting it into drills and getting into things. So, so what, what sort of process did you go through, um, you know, at West Brom in that time? Um, you know, from from obviously your ideas and then sort of compiling that into, uh, you know, a session plan, um, you know, and, and sort of engaging the players. And it's like, right, this is what we want to do. And obviously in a very sort of short amount of time as well um, that you had that you had really as manager. As I say, in my, in my first team coaches role, I, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough that I had enough access to the players, you know. So, yeah. you know, Darren, as a, as a head coach, would obviously lead a lot of sessions. Graham Jones, as assistant manager, would lead a lot of sessions, but, you know, that they enabled me enough grass time to work with the players. So, I guess in terms of the working week, the types of session, they wouldn't have changed too drastically. You know, there'd, been, there'd mm-hmm. have been certain things that I'd have done a little bit differently and, um, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 a lot of those players had a lot of success under a manager by the name of Tony Pulis, you know, and obviously Tony's philosophies would be different to mine. I'm not saying mm-hmm. mine are right and he's a wrong and he's a right and mine are wrong. They'd be different to mine. But I also knew that, you know, lots of things that Tony did in terms of he set up without out the ball, um, the players being comfortable and really, really happy in defending in numbers and defending a little bit deeper and absorbing pressure from the opposition. That's something, I, something I, you know, I extracted as well and something that I utilised, as, as I just said, in the first leg. So yeah. I guess in terms of session format, um, the types of session, the variety session, they wouldn't have changed, you know, too differently to, you know, the, the previous nine months of, of Darren, in, Darren being in charge because, you know, mm. I was, 
was massively involved in that process also. Um, what does change is obviously the butt lies with me and, you know, I have to make the key decisions, you know, and, and one thing about the game, it's about getting your best players on the pitch together in the best shape that suits them. And that, that's yeah. something probably we, we experimented in, in my, in my 10 games in the, in the championship before the, before the playoff semi-final, something that we experimented and had a look at two or three different shapes. And, and I felt that we were, we were best served going, going with, you know, playing with a, a back three, a back five and, you know, and I think it almost looked to the to the public it almost looked like we played a five four one, but the thought process behind it was to to try and play a, a three four three. Um, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Of, because of having you know having as I said that certainly more towards the game plan for Villa, having that mentality to sit a little bit deeper. Obviously, your wing backs attach yourself to your back three, and your two tens come either side of your two pivots, and you almost look like a, a five four one. So, yeah, not not too drastically different. Just you know, the, as I said, just making key decisions and I've got to pick the players and, and I've got to make sure that, you know, I, I pick the right team to, to go and do a job on the pitch. Amazing. So obviously with your time at West Brom, you work with some, uh, you know, a variety of exceptionally talented players, but obviously looking back at your time there, um, who would you say um, you formed, you know, like a really good relationship with and who, who was really on day to day, you know, like a pleasure to coach sort of on the, on the training ground. I know obviously you can't, you, you can't mention all the names, but who, who sort of sticks out for you in your time at uh, West Brom? Yeah, I, I have to say, and I've said this many a time, and it's not a cop out, you know, that I was, I was fortunate to, to work with lots and lots of talented footballers and, mm. you know, and, and probably above that because you work with them and in and around them, some really good people, um, you know, some genuine characters who still text me now and, you know, I still communicate with now. Oh, amazing. You know, so I've been I've been very very fortunate to, to 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 make some friends as well. You know, not just coach players, but to have some friendships with with, with some of these players. Um, obviously, Chris Brunt, you know, an unbelievable servant uh, to the to the football club. Uh, I, I sometimes I think people think of Chris Brunt and just think about a left foot and a wand, and you know his ability to 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 strike a ball and you know his passing range and passing ability, but tactically very very astute. Um, Chris is now obviously at the club and he's doing yeah. some coaching around the 23s and I think he'll have a fantastic career as a coach. Likewise, James Morrison, who, you know, who again has, has, has filtered into that coaching environment and that coaching world, you know, very, very bright. But in terms of what I, what I would um, describe as, as, as world-class players, Johnny Evans, so that short yeah. time that I, I stepped up, me and myself, obviously Darren was, was caretaker manager in the Premier League, like incredible. Um, in, in, just, just an absolute Rolls Royce, always in the right place at the right time, calm, composed in possession. Um, you know, I remember seeing someone, I think after his first season with Leicester, some reports that maybe Pep was, you know, considering a, a move for Johnny Evans. And listen, he could, he could, he could, to this day, he could go and fit into that team. He's that good, you know, he's athletically, physically very good, brave, a good defender, he, the whole package. Gareth Barry would be another one that, that filtered into that. You know, some of the things that, that Gareth would do in training, in games. Um, you know, Gareth was, I think Gareth was a big blow for that for, for West Brom not going up in that season, whether it was Darren in charge or, or myself in charge and that caretaker. I think if we had Gareth available um, and, and playing, I think Gareth would have made a massive difference, you know, because he had an, an ability, a, a technical and tactical ability just to take your game plan to a new level. You know, and, and, and patterns that you'd work, it, it, it'd bring them to life and, and bring them to life with real quality. So, Johnny Evans, Gareth Barry, 
Um, I don't know what you West Brom fans would, would think of his time at the football club, Daniel Sturridge. For us, seen Daniel Sturridge do things in training that would just add the wow moment, you know, ooze moments of other world-class talent. And, you know, and many people might say that, that Daniel hasn't achieved, you know, what he, what he probably should have. But, you know, if you look at it, he's played for Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City. Yeah. So, and England, he's not had a bad career. Um, so probably those, those three are probably the ones who stick out. And I think, you know, wow, world-class, but, you know, lots and lots and lots of uh, talented players. Dwight Gale was another one that was a pleasure to coach because he was enthusiastic. Jay Rod, I could, I could name them all, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It probably, probably sound like a cop out, but, you know. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> a, 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 real, a real, real good thing about West Brom, you know, it had a, as the, the football club, I'd like to still, like to think it still does to this day as a real, real good family feel. Um, yeah. You know, and that, and that transpires from, from academy all the way through to, every aspect of the football club, the canteen staff, the grounds, everybody, you know, it was a real, real good feel. And, 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 the, and the first team, the first team players and staff, you know, fit into, into that mould also. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, like two of the names you mentioned, one of my uh, sort of fondest memories in, in sort of following West Brom, I mean, I'm a West Brom supporter, I'm a 24 West Brom supporter all my life, was uh, West Ham in the FA Cup. And we set up with um, Brunt and Barry in the centre of midfield. Yeah. Honestly, what what a just what a day it was like, you know, as a supporter going there, beating obviously Premier League team in West Ham and Brunt and Barry, they absolutely ran the show. Absolutely ran the show. It was absolutely brilliant. So did you sort of notice as as a as a coach, when you were coaching them as players, did you could you sort of tell that um that obviously Bronte would go into coaching and it would be a very sort of natural fit just from just from his sort of personality and how he was on the on the training ground? Yeah, I think um, I think it's if you look at look at Gareth, Gareth would have, have, have captained football clubs, and obviously Chris was was captain of of West Brom for, for for many year, you know. So I think I think when you give people that responsibility to wear the captain's armband, um, yes, they can have different qualities and different strengths, but I think I think it's because they're able to to, to get the coaches or the managers' message into the changing room. Yeah. Filter that into the changing room, you know, sometimes in a, um, you know, an unformal capacity. So it's not team meetings with the players, you know, it's just general chit chat and conversations. And, um, you know, Chris was, Chris, Chris was very, very inquisitive in terms of the shape we played. Um, you know, and it, Chris obviously had gone through the whole spectrum at West Brom in terms of, you know, playing under a variety of different playing styles from um, Tony Mowbray, Roberto Di Matteo, Roy Hodgson, Steve Clark. You know, there were there were a whole heap of of different different playing styles that he had. So I think that probably would have helped Chris as well in terms of you know understanding the game and understanding how to do things differently. Um, yeah. And as I, as I said earlier about myself watching other coaches work and and then becoming comfortable in, into how I want to work. I think Chris can do that with with game style as well. You know, he can he can say right then I'll take a little bit of Tony Pulis from for that aspect of yeah. the game. Yeah. A little bit of Tony Mowbray for you know for, for this or management style. So, yeah, I, th I think you can, I, th I think you can certainly look at plays and look at the change room and you know and, and earmark X, Y, and Z. You know, I think when they finish, they'll stay around the game and, and they look to look to forge a career and you know and, and, and try and get into the coaching world. Amazing, amazing. So obviously your time at West Brom, you know, I know I, I touched on it earlier on, but I think you know you and Darren both did an amazing job at the time you came in. And obviously, you know, really sort of stabilised stabilised the club after after a bit of a sort of turbulent time. So, you know, I guess 
you know, thank you for all, you know, from all supporters for doing that. And I think obviously the changes that were made after that with Slav and Bilic coming in, I think you guys really sort of laid the, you know, from a supporter perspective, sort of laid the foundations for that and obviously the success that we had. So I'm interested to find out, obviously, after the playoffs, sort of when the dust had settled a little bit, how much sort of contact did you have with uh, with Slavin um, afterwards? And what was sort of the messages, um, you know, from the club and how did that sort of transition um, occur? Yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a strange close season. Um, so, you know, we'd stepped away with a big disappointment of, of not reaching the playoff final. Um, I think somewhere in the, in my mind, I was I, I began to understand obviously my, my time in in being a leader and leading that team had, yeah. had come to an end. Um, you know, like like most clubs, you, you you go on your on your on your closes and break. And I'd never been in that position where you know you pick up the phone and, you, and you're speaking to the recruitment team or the board, etc. So, you know, those kind of things didn't didn't occur to me. So we we probably had three or four conversations over over the summer. Um, the club were upfront and honest and, and said they wanted to wanted to appoint a manager. Mm-hmm. The club said that they would want me to to remain on that on that manager's staff to be in the in the, in the round of the, the first team, um, you know, and, and kind of kind of left it there. And there were three or four names that were were thrown to me of potential recruits. Um, none of those transpired, and I was away on holiday in Greece and and, and got the shout that Slavin had got the job and. Um, at that time, bit of a bit of a nightmare. So our, our youngest child is is, is two. So um, you know, rewind the clock. He was three or four months old, and mm-hmm. um, we were in Greece and, and had to come home. He, he fell poorly and, and spent spent mm-hmm. you know almost two weeks in the children's hospital. And that and that tied in with Slaven being announced as manager. Obviously, my time was away from the football club. Um, you know, so I didn't do the first week of preseason. Um, because of my, my child being in, in you know in, in the children's hospital and cool. I think probably that first week I met Slaven I met him once and I met him um, at a hotel in Birmingham spent about three hours with him oh, um, wow. I just had a, yeah just had a you know a, a real good chat so see Slaven had brought in two assistant managers from my my point of view I was a little bit disappointed that I hadn't been promoted from a first team coach's role to become an assistant manager. Yeah, you know, and I, I was going to remain as a first team coach, and um, I, you know, I heard some rumours that Slavin potentially wanted to bring in Julian Dix, um, and and I, and I got it, I got it, you know. So, as I said, you know, when I met Slavin, unbelievable character, um, have remained, you know, believe it or not, having had one three at three hour conversation, remained in contact with him the whole time he was Amazing. at West Brom, and, and exchanged, you know, a couple of messages since his. Since he's uh, he's left West Brom, and you know, I was obviously embarking on a, on a on a journey and a career in China now. So, um, yeah, I've, I've I've kept in contact with him and kind of come to a uh, it, within the discussion. It was discussed that you know I wanted to at some stage become a manager and have a go at it and have a crack at it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and and also he expressed that you know it's probably easier for him to succeed with having his own staff and. And kind mm. of come to, I guess we kind of came to a middle ground that, you know, for, for Slavin in the interest of West Brom to progress, then, you know, it's better for him to have his own staff and not to be looking over, you know, at me. He didn't know me, you know, on a personal point of view, um, you know, and, and him to have his own staff and, and for me to maybe try and have a look at going in a different direction and, you know, and seeing what what, was, what else was out there. So, yeah, one meeting with him, charm the, charm the pants off me, you know, a really yeah. good guy. <laughs> 
full of charisma, great character, spoke about the game in depth and, you know, and obviously my, my duty of, I, I, I found it my duty of care was to, was to give him a, you know, a low down on, on, on the playing squad that he was going to inherit. Amazing, amazing. So obviously, um, with um, after that time, um, obviously you'd fully sort of um, come away from West Bromwich Albion. Um, obviously, you went to join Kidderminster Harriers, um, sort of later on uh, in the year. But how was that time between? How was that time between leaving West Brom? Obviously, a place you'd spent a long time, you know, and was obviously a big part of your life. How how was that? How was that as a coach? Um, and yeah, and how, how did you sort of find it? Um, you know, was there sort of like different offers and things on the table when you um, when you left? Yeah, so when when I when I came out of West Brom, I probably had um, three offers to, to to go straight back into mm-hmm. into into a club. Um, they were two were at academy level. One was at first team level. Um, so the one at first team level was to go and join Darren as assistant manager at Doncaster. Okay. Um, that was the one that was, was thrusted to me, but again, that coincided with me not knowing how I was going to how I was how I was going to come out of West Brom from a financial point of view, and then yeah. also also most importantly, you know, my, my young child was in the children's hospital, and you know, I didn't want to leave my wife and my, and my other two children um, in, in Birmingham at that moment in time. So things just wasn't wasn't right for me to connect and click and, and go back and work with Darren. So there was some offers there. Um, the two offers within academy football were at two very, very big football clubs. Um, but I kind of, I kind of had that bug of, of working at first team level. Um, I love the thrill and importance of the three points and the chase at three points. And that's something I wanted to, wanted to try and continue. So um, obviously decline those three offers after that moment, probably the most difficult, difficult, challenging time of my life. I spent five months without work. Mm-hmm. Um, mentally exhausting, um, and I've, I find myself now in a in a in a similar position, a little bit different, a little bit easier, but a similar position where I just keep looking at the phone and you know and, and expecting it to call. And you know, yeah. if I, if I go back a little bit, when I came out of West Brom, I had lots of people who, you know, who have, who have had fantastic careers in the game, saying, "Jimmy, your stock is so high, you're going to get a job offer." You know, and mm-hmm. you know and Hearing that a lot, and you know, and, and people saying what a good job you did, and you know, and and and, and different things, you know, I, I expected the, the phone to ring and, and to be offered very very good opportunities, and um, it probably wasn't till the international break in September that I had another conversation with a football club. Um, it was over the phone. It was um, a job had become available um, in, in in the football league, and was coming becoming available in the football league, and it was nothing more than a phone call. And, you know, I'd kind of put all my hopes on this is it. I've cracked it. This is my opportunity. I'll go in here. I'll do X, Y, and Z. I started to think about my backroom staff and, you know, and, and I looked at the football club in depth in terms of how I changed things, etc. Nothing materialized. And, you know, all of a sudden another month passes and the phone doesn't ring and you find yourself out of work and, and desperate to, to get back at it and get back on the grass. And, um, it was kind of by chance that I knew Colin Gordon. Colin Gordon was a was an agent um, for, for, for for many years, a very very successful agent who who took on on Kidderminster Harriers as a as, as a football club. He became chairman owner at Kiddy and and he rang me and said, "Look, um, would you come in and, and give us a hand? Would you come in and help us? We've not got a manager. 
Um, I know you, it's not the level you want to work at and want to operate at. Would you come in? And I just think it was a, an unbelievable fit. You know, it got me out of the house, got me back on the grass, working with mm -hmm. players and some really good players, by the way. You know, I was, I was, I was quite, quite surprised by the level of quality of play that, that Kidderminster had, um, you know, whilst I was still looking for work. So it was purely voluntary. Um, you know, I, did, I wasn't under a contract. Um, I wasn't paid for the, by the football club. It was purely on a, on a voluntary basis. And I'd like to think when I went in, I formed a really good relationship with Russell Penn, who's now the manager at Kiddie. And, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I was open to Russ and Russ was open to me. Russ said that he would quite like the gig and the opportunity. And I said, well, look, I'm not going to be here for, you know, I, I don't envisage me being here a long time. So if I can give you anything and, you know, and help and advise you in any way, then brilliant. And, you know, and, 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 and touch wood, you know, when I, when I came out of, of Kidderminster, they, they gave Russ the job and, you know, and I think Russ would be a, a fantastic manager. He, he, he reminds me of me in terms of having a real growth mindset and going the extra mile and, you know, and, and trying to educate himself. And I think he'll have a, have a very, very good career. So that kind of in a nutshell was, 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 was the kiddie period and forever grateful, you know, to, Amazing. To try and get, if anything, mentally to get some normality back into my life. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So obviously, with going into um, going into Kidderminster Harriers, like how was um, how was that? Obviously, uh, you know, we've talked about um, obviously the development of your coaching philosophies as well. How was that going in there? Obviously, with your experience at West Brom, how was that going in there with the players and obviously working with Ross? Did, did you sort of become a bit like a, a bit of a mentor to Ross while you were there, or how how did it sort of work, sort of day to day on the on the on the training ground? Yeah, we just you know it was I, I went in. I think I think they gave me the title as of interim manager. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I would have done probably 70% of the coaching, you know, but Russ was very, very competent and, and able on the grass as well. So I didn't feel that I had to do 70%. It was just that, you yeah. know, I wanted to, I wanted, I'd been out of the game for five months. I had a real thirst for getting back on the grass and working with players. And I probably was quite selfish in my time at Kiddie, but, you know, I also think that, that, that Russ would have, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, took some, took some things out of my coaching and the way sessions were structured and information that was delivered and, and hopefully, you know, he utilizes that in his, in his day-to-day -day working, you know, to this day. So yeah, I guess, I guess from, from my very early conversation with Russ that, you know, without me going in and saying, right, then I'm going to mentor you over the next 13 weeks while I'm at Kidderminster Starriers. I think Russ knew that, you know, it was giving me a coaching fix and getting me back on the grass. Yeah. And I'd hope hopefully a little bit of showing, showing the world that I'm not lazy and willing to sit on my backside and, I mean, paid by a football club and do nothing. I wanted to get back out there. I wanted to get on the grass and work with players. So, yeah, I guess in an unofficial capacity, you know, it was a, a transition period that, that, you know, I was able to give Russ some of my years of experience in, the, in a short space of time and, you know, for Russ to take the reins and, and Russ to embark on his managerial career. <clears throat> amazing amazing so obviously after that time um in obviously in february 2020 you joined um solihull moors uh, interested um because obviously I, I guess that was the um your first sort of first team project where you went in sort of as as manager so, so how was that could you remember sort of the day that you signed the contract and and what were your sort of key um sort of philosophies and ideas when you first started at the club yeah, well, the, the, the big thing that attracted me to Solil was um, I think wherever, wherever I go and whatever I do within my career, there's, 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 there's three things, three things that I, I think are important. I think 
playing style is, is really mm-hmm. important. Um, you know, I've, I've never ever coached, and and this will this will become this will be, be because of my background. I've never coached direct football. I've never coached that kind of brand of football. You know, it's always been a progressive builder. Doesn't have to be slow. You know, it can it, it can be direct if it's if it's the right pass. Um, but it's a passive quality. It's not playing yeah. into areas and and landing on seconds, etc. So an attractive brand of football to develop players. Probably more importantly to um, football clubs, young players with resale value, and to win games of football. You know, to be competitive. Um, you know, so those those three things were were the three things that I'll stand by, and I think I'll I'll keep throughout my career, wherever I work next, whether it's yeah. first team coach, assistant manager, back within the academy. If I get a managerial opportunity again, um, and those are the three things I think that the, the football club kind of wish to go in that direction also. So first and foremost, that was the thing that attracted me to Solihull. The second thing, and I'm 10 minutes from the training ground, the 10 minutes from the, from the stadium. So yeah. locality was, you know, location was massive. The kids could you know, they'd have to relocate. The kids can stay at the, stay at the same school. They still see daddy at a similar time to when he worked at West Brom because, you know, I'm, I'm not having to trape down a motorway an hour or two hours at a time. So that was important. Um, going into Solihull, it was the remit was to try and make sure that they cemented the playoff place. And obviously, um, you know, I only had four games that season and, and COVID hit. Um, so the, yeah. this season was obviously cut, cut very, very short because of, because of COVID. And, um, you know, what presented probably for the next four, five, six months after that was a lot of frustration of not knowing when the season was going to commence, mm. if it was going to you know, recommence and, um, you know, not being able to, get players over the line in terms of signing players because of that massive uncertainty of when the season would start and when their contract stop would start. So um, I guess it was a, a real, real strange, um, unique set of circumstances to go into your first managerial job. Yeah, you, go yeah, in, yeah. you go in and, you know, and COVID hits kind of thing. But, um, you know, we got through that. We got the season up and running. We had a really, really good start to the season. Um and then we had COVID hit the, hit the football club and it hit the football club. I think we missed three fix, three league fixtures. We had to isolate 14 days. And obviously at that level, you know, you've got, you've got players that are, that are sat in the house with no gym equipment, no running machines, yeah. no exercise bikes. It's not like you're living with, with, the, with, the, with the championship players and the Premier League players who've got their home gyms, et cetera. Um, so that was a challenge, um, you know, and, and kind of took us probably five or six games post that that COVID spell to try and find some form again. Um, and then we got through to Christmas and, um, you know, I'm not going to, not going to sit here and, 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 and lie, you know, the, our form become very, very indifferent. Um, and, and I guess, I guess looking at a decision to make a change, you know, it was probably an isolated period of time where we had our first real poor spell. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, you know, I think most clubs, because of maybe because of COVID and the situation of of missing games, etc., and the, the season being very, very indifferent. I think most clubs would have had an indifferent period, and you know, even, even Man City at the start of the season, Liverpool had a, had a blip. You know, two unbelievable football clubs had the blip, and my frustrating my frustration coming out of Solihull was probably that we weren't allowed to ride that storm and come mm. through it because. Um, you know, I think I think there were there were there were lots of things in terms of those three things that I spoke to you about. Lots of things that we were we were on course in, in ticking in terms of yeah 
developing players, young players, you know, players that were making first team appearances and, and doing well at national league level that, that will have resale value. Um, you know, we changed the brand of football and, and, and the style of football, you know, to suit how I coach and mm-hmm. to suit how the owners wanted it. Um, unfortunately, and, and football is a, it's a winning, winning business and winning industry. You know, unfortunately at, at the time that we come out, we had a, had a, a bit of a, bit of a rough patch in terms of wins and, and, and points on the board. Do, do you think, um, I guess in general, obviously, you know, like what you said, football is a winning business at the end of the day, but do you think coaches sort of in general in the wider game, I mean, you know, that you can think of sort of loads of examples, do you think they're given enough time? Because I, I do feel obviously looking out, you know, as a supporter, you know, you have you have managers come in and sometimes they're only given a few months and sometimes they're not even given the opportunity to bring in the players that they, you know, they sort of want to work with that would help them achieve their goal. Do, do, do you think it's almost, you know, a, a really sort of difficult industry and place to be in sort of at the moment where clubs are sort of looking for instant success? Yeah, I think statistically shows that, you know, managers don't have a have a, have a an appropriate length of time mm. to, to, you know, to, to enable them to blood their philosophy into football clubs. Um, you know, you speak to some of your, your wiser managers, your managers have been there, done it, got the T-shirt, come yeah. to the end of their career. They'll, they'll, they'll talk to you about three or four windows that you need to, you need to, you know, be at a football club to enable to get the right player in. Um, you know, if the players that you're working with aren't able to embrace the way that you want to play, you've only got to do one or two things. You've only got to change the way you play or change your players. It's very, very simple. And, um, I think, I think you, you know, you'd be very, very fortunate to, to, to find owners and fans alike, you know, to have that patience to, to enable, you know, somebody to come in and to, and to, to, you know, to give them the time to bring success to the football club. You know, I think, I think, I think it's the way of modern day life as well. You know, every, everything's instant. Yeah. Every, everybody wants, you know, everything yesterday. And, you know, and I think that's just a, maybe a, the way society's moving in terms of it's a, it's an instant world, you know, not just in terms of football and, and wanting instant, instant success. I think it's just the way of the world now. And, um, I, I think it's, I think it's a shame because, um, you know, I think it, I think it maybe will deter some good young up and coming coaches, you know, mm. thrusting themselves into, into, into that, that first time environment and having to go at becoming a manager and, and trying to forge a career because, as, you know, as, as we both just said, that it is, it is cutthroat. It's, 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 yeah. it's a, it is a, it is a winning industry and, and one that unfortunately, if you don't win, win games and, you know, there's not many people that have the, the lens and the vision to see through that and look at the bigger picture. It's, it's very much the here and now. So yeah, I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's scandalous. And I'm not just saying this from my experience of yeah. being at Solio for, you know, for 13 months, I, I, I do think it's scandalous that, you know, that managers aren't, aren't given, you know, appropriate time to, to succeed. Do you, do you think with obviously, you know, the, the uncertain year that everyone's had with COVID, do you, do you think things in the future will, will get better in that sense? Do you, do you think the football world will sort of, will sort of evolve and change and we will get back to a stage at one point where managers are given a bit more time? Or do you think that this is sort of the way it is now and the way it will be for, uh, you know, the, the foreseeable future for, you know, managers and people sort of working their way up in the game? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good point. Obviously, the the, the pandemic, you know, it's, it's going to affect football financially at all levels. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe not so the, the the Premier League, but under that, there'll be cutbacks. And you know, I, I speak to lots of people that work within the Championship, and 
You know, people tell me that a £25,000 a week player last year, you know, or at times gone by might, might become a, a £12,000, £13,000 a week player. So there'll be cutbacks. And I think, I think because finance become tighter, you know, you're, you're probably less reluctant to sack a manager, pay him up his, his salary, um, and, and, then, yeah. and then go and spend and splash out, you know, money on, on reappointing. So, yeah, hopefully that, that, that may be, you know, a, a real, real benefit to the pandemic that people will be given more time. And, you know, and, and, and I think at the end of the day that, and this, this, this stands in any way, in, in, in anything to do with life, if you're going to appoint somebody, you know, there's got to be, you have to appoint the right person. So take, take the appropriate time and the measures to appoint that person and, you know, and, and back that person when they're, when they're in, the, in the door. And one thing that's a certainty in football, unless you are your elite level, uh, I know they've had a blip this year, Liverpool or your man, you know, man, man City have gone on to turn their season around after many pundits wrote them off after their start to the season. You're going to lose games and you're going to, you're going to find it difficult, you know, when it's going to, yeah. you're, you're going to have to take one on the chin or take two on the chin. Um, and it might take a little bit of time to turn things around, but as long as you've got clear direction, clear vision, mm. um, and you're all aligned, I, I, I think it should be an easy process. Um, so yeah, going back to answer your question, yeah, I think possibly with you know finances changing the game, hopefully the positive will be that teams will be less able just to afford big payouts and and paying people off and and, and appointing somebody on, on the same salary or or in many cases on a on a bigger salary to get them out of trouble. So hopefully it will benefit the game. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So um, obviously with, um, you know, with obviously uh, leaving Solihull Moors, sort of what what would you like to do next? Like what's your, um, have, have you sort, are you sort of taking a bit of time to sort of, you know, sort of like let, let the dust settle a little bit and sort of work out where you want to go? Or are you sort of keen to, you know, have you got a particular plan or something you particularly, you, you know, you want to go for next? Yeah, probably, I'm probably in a different headspace to when I came out of West Brom. Um, I'm probably more open-minded. So yeah. ideally I'd want to, I'd want to remain at first team level. Um, you know, I'd spent 17, 18 years working with, with the youngsters within the, in the academy. That's not mm -hmm. to say that I wouldn't work within the academy structure again. Um, but I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer to, 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 to stay at first team level. I think being realistic and being open-minded um, that a managerial, ex, a managerial position would, would probably, probably be, be a stretch too far, maybe, um, ex, you know, certainly at the football league level because of the experience and, and maybe the perception of my time at, at Solihull without knowing the ins and outs of it. Um, so, yeah, to, to, to be part of somebody's first team staff as an assistant manager, as a first team coach, that's something that, 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 that excites me right now. I've been offered a managerial position abroad. I've turned oh, that one down. Yeah, I've had a couple of offers to, to go back to academy football. Um, Again, ones that I've not said no to, but I'm keeping a plate a, a, a plate spinning, um, you know, and, and that's that's just me being real. And, and I'm, I've been honest with yeah. those people as well that you know, I've got three kids and a mortgage to pay, you know. So um, it, it's important that I, I get back into work as as soon as I can from a financial aspect or point of view. But more importantly, I want to get back on the grass and I want to work with players. You know, it doesn't it doesn't suit Jimmy Shan sitting on his backside and mowing the lawn and, you know, and, and taking the little one to the park, you know, and two or three times a day, I, I need to be around players. I need to be back at work. So I think now the football season's come to a conclusion, obviously got the playoffs to, to, to complete and conclude. I've spoke to one or two people that 
things may open up and present um, you know, in, in, the, in the coming weeks. Hopefully in the next two to three weeks, I'll be a little bit clearer on you know, where Jimmy Sham will be next year. Amazing, amazing. So obviously um, I, did, um, I did hear um, that you, there was, there was rumours that you might be joining um, Darren Moore, obviously on his staff at uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Was that something that was ever sort of close at any point or was, was that sort of more like more paper talk and that was, wasn't really something that you were considering? Yeah, I think, I think people just putting the connection. Obviously, me and Darren are, are close. I've worked yeah. with Darren, 18s, 23s, first in level at West Brom. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a very, very close. And, um, yeah, I think I think people just uh, put two and two together and sometimes come up with 44. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, a little, bit, a, little bit, a little bit of that. That's not to dismiss the fact that, you know, if there's an opportunity to, to work with Darren again in the future, that I wouldn't consider, of course I would. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a great guy and, and again I think he's going to have a I think he'll have longevity as a, as, as a manager in the, in the game you know he's a he's a good football person he's got a fantastic character and he's got some real 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 good qualities as a as, as a football manager so um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure Dan will have success long success as a manager and, and our paths will, will cross again in the future Brilliant. Well, obviously, you know, I wish you all the best and, you know, for your, your next job and, and job. And obviously, you know, as a Baggies fan, he massively appreciated what you did at the club. You know, I'll be I'll be watching closely for, you know, your next moves. Um, obviously, I'm interested, um, you know, to, to sort of find out, um, you know, more a bit more about sort of about you as a coach and sort of your, um, you know, sort of like experiences and sort of memories sort of along the way. So um, obviously we're doing the licenses. Um, I, don't, I don't feel like it's something that's talked um, a lot about when you hear sort of coaching interviews and stuff. So I'm interested. What was your experience like obviously going? Cause I mean, you know, I've done my, my first coaching badges. I'm looking to go into the second one. Um, which I think I believe is the, is the level two or the UEFA C now, maybe I think. Um, so how, how, yeah. How, how did you find that sort of going through the badges and, and the coaches you work with and sort of the mentors you have along the way? Uh, yeah, valuable experience. I think um, the coaching pathway now has, has changed massively over probably over the last seven or eight years in terms of when I did my coaching qualifications, it was pass or fail. Whereas now it's okay. whether the coach is competent, so it's competency, competencies now. So um, probably there's probably a lot of pressure, you know, in terms of you'd go through your, your coaching courses, you'd be educated. Um, again, you know, just as watching other coaches work and, 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 and trying, to, trying to pick up points and, and, and learn the game that way, the courses were invaluable in terms of teaching the game. And um, yeah. going back to the one you just, you just said, then when I did my C licence, the big thing that I got through my C licence was, was, was breaking down technical information and mm -hmm. technique, ball striking, um, yeah. crossing, defending, you know, some real, real good technical information. And that's something that, that still remains within my coaching vocab now. And I go all the way back to, to 2001 when I did my, my first qualification. Um, so yeah, they were, they were, they were very, very good. As I said, there was a lot of pressure because at the end of your learning um, and you'd done your appropriate coaching hours, you were assessed, you know, and that was quite daunting that, you mm. know, you'd be given, I, th I think going all the way back when I did mine, it was, was given a, a, a technique and then a small-sided game. So it was quite daunting that you'd have an FA coach educator on the side with a clipboard, you know, and he's, and he's ticking off whether you're going to get your qualification or not. So, you know, I had that with my C licence, B licence and A licence where, as I said, you know, I, I know things have changed now, but, um, yeah, I, again, you know, in terms of mentors, 
some some of the coach educators that I worked under um, and were guided by on those courses have, have, have played a massive part in, in in the way that I coach today and and, and my coaching personality. Amazing, amazing. So obviously, when you went for your um, your pro license, was that done at uh, was that done at St George's Park, the England setup? How how was that as an experience? Obviously, you know, because I, I imagine you know, because obviously it's such a long project going through and getting your badges, and you know, as as you've mentioned, you know, you put so many hours in on the grass to get to where you are. How was that going into sort of taking that license, and obviously the people you were, you know, who were on the course as well. Yeah, well, that was it. Was as was a little bit different. So the um, the pro license is is more geared towards um, for managers. So it's a qualification mm -hmm. to, to enable you to to manage at certain levels. Um, so the FA at the time they they had a um, a pilot scheme, and we were the I was the first intake after the pilot scheme on, a, on an award that would sit alongside the pro license. It was a level level five, um, and it was more a coaching course. So that was called the Professional Coaching Award. So we did that. And when we came to um, completion of that course, UEFA um, didn't, uh, we're, we're, we're not going to um, accredit the qualification to sit alongside the pro license. So that was a big shock to the English FA. And so the English FA said, so what we'll do is, because we've covered similar things in, in this qualification to the pro license, yeah. we'll add on another, another nine, 12 months, and then you'll get your full pro license. So we didn't, we didn't do the full version of the pro license, we did lots of modules that you would have done, but the the, the front loading of, of my pro license was more of coaching. Um, so we, re, with regards to the pro license, I, st I stayed with the same candidates all the way through. Yep. With regards to the pro, I was dis a little bit disappointed because I like coaching and I, I like watching coaches and, and learning about the game tactically. And it's probably more more of how you present yourself, um, you know, as a, as a manager. So I hear you press stuff and, being interviewed and you know and, yeah. and mannerism and and how you present yourself in interviews etc. So it was more, it was more the managerial stuff that at that moment in time when I did the qualification I thought I'm not going to be a manager I don't, I don't need any of this but it was yeah, a, yeah. a bit of a tick box so um, yeah it was a it was I don't know it was something that something that I was grateful that I was able to you know come out of it with a pro license qualification but you know I was more the previous course on the coaching and get on the grass and, and coaching but with regards to people that were on that course you know again there's some fantastic names that have you know that have been on that course and have gone on to do some fantastic things and and one of them every time i put bloody sky sports news on she's always on emma hayes the oh Chelsea yeah yeah. Manager. yeah emma emma was on the course and oh amazing she was brilliant yeah she was she was fantastic so there was some uh yeah some some really really good candidates on there that have, have gone on in the game and you know are doing some some fantastic things with their their own individual careers Brilliant, brilliant. So obviously talking about coach education, I know um, you ran some, I saw sort of through social media that you run some workshops and uh, and things before with coaching. Have you ever done anything sort of um, like like with the FA as a coach mentor, any other courses or, and, and if not, is that something that you'd sort of consider in the future going down that coach education route alongside your, um, you know, your first team or academy or, you know, managerial uh, job as well? Yeah, so I'd, I'd been I'd been invited to the FA probably three or four times to mm -hmm. to jump on their A license over I don't know probably over the last uh, last six seven years. So you know just to go and and give the candidates a perspective of of what a session would look like within a football club because you know and you'll you'll get this yourself when you go through your qualifications. 
what it looks like on a course at times doesn't replicate what it looks like inside a football club. Yeah. It's very, very, it, it's structured slightly differently. So I've done that. To answer your question, yeah, I'd love to get into coach education. Um, and I think that, I think that's something that, you know, people that have had a, a long, long stead um, or spent a long time within the game and got lots of, exp- I think, I think it's, I think it's valuable that, you know, I give or try to give something back to the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have stole loads of coaching phrases and knowledge from people that, you know, that, that I would never say, this is Jimmy Shan. You know, Dick Bate was, was fantastic. We'd come up with, with um, phrases and sayings and, you know, I utilise them now, but I'd always say, I got it from Dick Bate. Um, you know, so I think, I think that would be, it'd be, you know, a good part in my journey to, to go back and, you know, and, and do some coach education for the, 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 you know, the, the new wave of coach coming through and, you know, and, and try and pass on some information that, that, that stood me in good stead and, and information that I've learned from, you know, some, from some good mentors over the years. Amazing. Yeah. So I spoke to, um, I spoke to Dean Kiley on my, uh, on my last podcast and he, he said something that I quite liked. And I think it sort of goes into the coach education as well. He said the best coaches are the best thieves. And I was like, I, th- I think that's, 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 there's really something in that. Obviously, you've talked about over your career, how you've managed to, you know, you've gone from somebody who, you know, who's been learning and taking sessions and you've really been able to sort of embed it into your own philosophy. And yeah, I, th- I think that's a really sort of important point. So I'll be interested to see sort of with your experience, what advice is, what advice would you give to, uh, you know, young coaches coming up at the moment? Um, you know, what would be sort of your key points um, you know, as a mentor and things that you'd sort of pass on? Okay, I think, I think, I think the big one, um, the big one for me is, is, is to make sure you have a personality, don't be too serious. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, going back to when we spoke earlier in the, in the conversation about you coaching your team, fundamentally it has to be fun. Um, yeah. you know, and you've got to have that, that warm personality. There's a, there's a phrase, um, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. If you're going to be an education educator and a teacher, and that's something that that Mark Harrison, you know, at West Brom used to drum into us coaches all the time of, you know, it doesn't matter about your detailed information. You know, these kids need to know that you care first and foremost, and mm. that that would be a big one. So have a have a have a personality that 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 people want to be within your company and, and want to learn. Um, the second one would be that I wouldn't turn the clock back and change it. You know, I said to you that I'd spend seven days a week coaching. You have to, you've got to get your coaching hours in and you yeah. have to make mistakes and then you have to be humble enough to know that you've made a mistake and, you know, and then sit down with yourself or get some real constructive um, criticism from, from one of your peers on what could have been better, how can I do it better? But I think making mistakes is invaluable and, and probably something that, that maybe your generation of coach going through your coaching qualifications might might do differently to, to when, when I did it. Um, mm. Don't be afraid to teach. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of things about around guided discovery and, you know, and, and, and not, not, give, not making or giving your, uh, the, the player, you know, too much information or making decisions for them. But I think sometimes it can be a little bit wishy-washy that, you know, I've seen, I've seen coaches work over the years and they'll say to a player, what do you think? What yeah. if that player doesn't, know the answer that you've, you've got yeah. you've, you've, you know you've, you've got to give the player the information and and the tools before you can before you can equip those questions in in, in my humble opinion so i think i think have a personality um don't be too serious because there's, there's too many too many coaches that are too serious um get your coaching hours in 
and don't be afraid to teach. You know, I think it's really, really important that you understand the game. You know, obviously the four corners at the FA work on. You know, my my big focus would be technical and tactical. You know, yeah. make sure you you're able to to go and instruct in in both those those areas with, with some real clarity and some yeah. real good detail and, and and break the information down for for the appropriate you know level you're working at. Amazing. So obviously one thing you mentioned there, I mean, it's something that obviously I'm still very much in the early stages and, you know, developing my clear, my kind of clear ideas of the game and how I think the game should be played. And, you know, I'm really enjoying that learning process so far. But one thing you touched on, which I think I try and um, prioritise at the moment is obviously that human connection and sort of how is how, how important has that been sort of throughout your career, obviously your time at Moors, your time at Kidman's the Harris, your time at West Brom, working through the academy. How important is having that human connection sort of with your players, being approachable and sort of being that obviously authoritative in one sense, you know, being a teacher, like you said, um, but, you know, having that that side to you where players aren't scared to come and talk to you and, and you know, get advice and, and take things forward. Vital, I think, I think it's a human quality, isn't it? You know, if you yeah. if you're going to be a good human being and you're going to be you know going to have a good a good pool and a good school of friends that you know it's because people warm to you and I think I think it's important and you know I've been on lots of courses where there's been somebody leading um, the course or I've seen lots of managers and coaches work that I look and go oh your detail is brilliant but mm. but there's no personality and there's no warmth there. And, you know, from, from my point of view, if I was a player on that pitch for that person, that coach, I probably wouldn't go the extra mile, you know, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't, not, not, not that I wouldn't try as much, but it just doesn't have the same connection, the same feeling. So I think, I think building relationships, you know, is, is of vital importance and, um, you know, speaking to people and that, that phrase again, you know, show people that you care. Um, because they won't, they won't care about how much you know, you know. So it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a it's a real it's a real really important skill to have and, and and a trait to have. And you know that's that's one thing that I'd advise any young coach. You know, get those connections, connect with people, build those relationships because um, you know that that person will, will will probably try a little bit harder for you or, mm. or or want to learn a little bit more from you and, and not be switched off. And um, you know, I think I think it's of vital importance. Do, do you find um, another? I guess another sort of um, thing I'm interested to explore is obviously adapting tactically as well. Do you, do you sort of find throughout your career that you've had to? Obviously, you've got your philosophy, sort of which we've discussed, like you know how you want to play the game and you know, how you believe things should be done. But how much when you go into even if it's an academy level or a new club, how much do you have to sort of adapt to obviously and work with what's there? Or, you know, do, do you try and um, make the players there sort of fit into your style or do you have to sort of go slightly the other way and, you know, take on board maybe what's already been done or try and play to the strengths um, sort of of the club and, and how difficult is it, I guess, to find the balance between the two? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's um, it's a unique skill that, to, you know, to and, and one that comes with experience in, in knowing what your players can and can't do. Um, you know, I've already mentioned it's about you know, getting effective plays and effective areas of the pitch. Yeah. So yeah, that that, that ability to that ability to be um, to adapt tactically is, is is of vital importance. But I would always stress that never ever compromise your principles. So for me now, if 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 I was to get another managerial opportunity, mm-hmm. um, I'd make sure that I would go into the club that had uh, plays that could play that way. 
you know, and, yeah. and, it, and it fits. There's no, there's no point in me going into a football club and, you know, I've, I want to build out, I want to build from the back and I've got a goalkeeper who can't manage the ball and can't play out from the back because that takes away a lot of my principles and, and my core beliefs of the game. So it's, it's, it's important that um, your, your principles of play are never compromised. But yeah. you know you do you do have to slightly adapt, and you know it might might mean that your right sided centre back and is more comfortable in possession than your left sided centre back. So you might do things differently when the ball's on on the mm. right hand side of the pitch, for example. So it's 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 important. It's important, but you know, from this is just my personal stance. Never ever compromise your principles of play. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think that's I think that's sort of such good such good advice and I mean like obviously when it comes to planning your sessions um, you know during the week with the first team how much of that is um, obviously putting your principles of play into practice and how much is it sort of um, reviewing games and reviewing footage and reviewing uh, you know sort of you know what could be improved uh, from the weekend or do you find those two regularly sort of marry you know marry nicely together? Yeah I think um I think if you've got if you've got strong principles of play, then regardless of what team you play up against, um, it should always be repeated in, you, in your coaching program. Yeah. So you know you, 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 your beliefs are your beliefs. Your way of playing is, is your way of way of playing. So you know, it, it's I suppose there's been a little bit pragmatic within there as well. So let mm. me go go back to the, the point of the, of the play the playoff semi final. So in game one, we wanted. To, we, we knew we had to defend deep and try and strip their quality. In yeah. game two, we were a goal behind, so we needed to move a low block into a mid block. So we had to move our, our, our reference point to, to gain pressure on the ball was now 15, 20 yards hot of the pitch. But the principles mm-hmm. are exactly the same. They're exactly the same. It's from a compact shape. You press with the same intensity. You mirror the ball behind the ball in exactly the same fashion. You're just moving that block 15, 20 yards hot of the pitch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess... Um, to an- an- answer your question, I would always, I would always probably work 70-30. So 70% in your working week of, of your core principles, how you want to play, what you're about, your DNA, your structure, and 30% of the opposition because it will have an impact slightly. So, you know, for example, you play up against a high-pressing team, the space is going to be somewhere different. You play up mm-hmm. against a team that defending a mid-block, your space is different. A low block, it's different. So it's going to it's going to have an impact and a bearing on, on how you structure your team and, you know, and, and, and where you're looking to, to get the numerical advantage or, you know, where you're looking to exploit. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd always work on the, on the 70, 30, 70% of what you, you're about and, and 30% on the opposition. Amazing. Amazing. So, um, so obviously to, to sort of finish the podcast off, uh, one, one question I like to ask is um, over your time and your experience, what has been your um, favorite and least favorite thing about being a coach? I think I think I think success as a coach, and I think this is mm-hmm. you know everybody in every walk of life, and and success from from my coaching experience would, would come in two different ways. So one would be seeing a player make his his first team debut, whether that be yeah. at your football club, out on loan and making a, a a league appearance, or being sold on and making you know gaining a career and forging a career somewhere else. I think. That, from a de- developer's point of view, is, is, is worth its weight in gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't get a buzz out of that as a, as a youth developer, there's something you're in the wrong industry. Yeah. And then 
first team, it, it, it's winning. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing better than that winning feeling. Yeah. You know. It, you know. It's that 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 three points. Um, everything you've prepared for. You know, within within your working week, you're structured, um, and then to put the the ice on the cake to do it in your way as well. You know, as as, as we touched on that Swansea game, we won three 0 but we didn't perform well. You know, so I'd have got a buzz from the three 0 but I wouldn't have got a buzz from the way we performed. So, yeah, um, yeah, that would be that would be that would be for me the the, the sweetest moments. Um, on the flip side of it, dead simple, losing. So yeah. as, as much yeah, yeah. as much as much as a high winning is losing. Oh, you know, I've I've been really poor at you know in, in my 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 time working at first and when we've had losses, academy level. It, it gets you a little bit, but not too much because it's about developing players. But at first in level, it affects my mood the whole of the next day, the whole yeah. of the day after that. Um, you know, and, and it's that, that in between, that waiting, you know. So if you lose on a Saturday and you're not back on the grass till a Monday or you've not got a majority of your players to the Tuesday, it just adds to it. You know, you're just, you're just mm. itching at the bit to, to get back on the grass and work with the players and, and try and put things right and, you know, and, and, and try and get that next game, you know, as, as quick as you possibly can to to put the wrongs right and get those three points. Yeah, definitely. So, so is it something sort of, I mean, I guess this comes to your session as well. Do you do, um, you know, because I remember from my first badge, they, the FA talked about obviously the plan, do and uh, review afterwards. Is that something you do literally the second you step through your front door after the game? Is, is, is your mind already going like, right, this is what we need to do on, you know, when, when the lads are back on the, you know, back on the grass on, you know, Monday, Tuesday or, or whenever, or is that, or did, did you ever kind of, kind of allow yourself to have that sort of recovery time and put your feet up or is it always sort of there in the back of your mind thinking, right, this is what I've got, got to do, you know, when, when I'm back in training? Yeah, I think, I think you always have that as a, as, as a coach, you always look to, um, look, to look to improve, um, you know, whether you've had a good result, a bad result or an indifferent result, you know, what could you have done better? How can we do it better? And then you start to reflect in terms of, well, our, our flank play wasn't very good today. Well, we've not worked on it really for the last 10 days. So that's going to be of real importance that we implement that in our, in our working program. So I think it's something you do all the time. Um, one thing that I did, I've always done, I've always done my post-match report um, straight after the game. So mm-hmm. as, 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 as soon as, I have a moment to sit down and, and get my thoughts down, put the things that are alive in my, in, in my, in my memory bank, um, rather than having that time to digest and reflect. I, 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 I go with the emotions, whereas lots of managers and some managers and coaches want to take the emotion out of it. But the, the, the reason why I, I, I would choose to do that is because um, obviously my debrief with the players would be emotionally driven. They'd be directly after the game. Yeah. So I want to make sure that when I write my notes down and then I give it a day and then watch the game back um, the following day, I'll I, I just try and keep checking myself to make sure what I saw live at the game and, you know, with, with the emotions of the, of the game and um, the emotion of the result, whether it was a fair assessment or not. And that, that way then on a Monday morning, if I went into the group of players and, you know, I'd hammered you as an individual for not doing X, Y and Z, yeah. And I've looked back and, and maybe maybe it was, it was I could openly stay in front of you as a, as a group of players. Like, listen, I got that call wrong. I was yeah, absolutely yeah. Wrong. Or on the flip side of it, you know, it, it was right for me to do that. You know, it makes makes that decision and and makes my um my my emotional response at the end of the game 
correct, if that makes sense. So I'd, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd always do that. You know, it's, it's just something that I've always done. I'd stick to it. Um, so I think it, you know, I think it, I think it's a little bit of a, a test in me to make sure that I've, I've seen the, I've seen the game in the, in the right manner. Yeah. And how, how do you sort of find, um, you know, in-game management? Cause as you said, it's, it's something, um, you know, it's, it sounds like something, it's sort of very, like, obviously you, you want to look at it from like a very purely, I guess, analytical perspective, don't you on the sidelines and, and sort of think back to your knowledge and your experiences, but obviously emotions do come into play. So how, how do you, how did you sort of develop that side of um, your games? I guess it's one thing being on the training pitch to actually being there on the match day with obviously the emotion of the, you know, the supporters and uh, you know, the, the, the competitive edge to the game. Um. I think up until, up until my point at, at Solio Moors, um, I, I think I was very, very good with that because from a, yeah. you know, working at academy level and then working as a first team coach, academy level, it's developmental. Mm. So there's not lots of um, shouting from either manager, really. There's, there's, there's tactical advice and praise and encouragement, of course, of course there's that, but it's, it didn't really get too competitive. Um, You've not got a, you've not got a big crowd that are influencing your decisions or questioning decisions or getting after you. Um, so that's away from it. When I was a first team coach, I was always removed away from the emotions. So I'd sit in the dugout. I'd yeah. be sat down, which I think I think when you sat down, your emotions are totally different anyway. When you're on the touchline, you and you and you're bouncing around, you feel everything. So I think you can detach yourself and see things through a different lens and have clearer thinking. Um, and then when I stepped up to a caretaker manager at West Brom, whether, whether, whether because I'd been programmed for so long in having that mindset, I think I was that as well. And obviously with the, with the influence of the crowd as well, players can't, players can't really hear the information you're giving from the side yeah. of the pitch. You know, you're waiting for a break and from to come across or the ball to out for a throw in to, you know, to say to somebody, get this message or a quiet spelling within the game where you can get information on or, you're doing what you're doing. Majority of your work at half time, you know that that's when mm. you, you you earn your money, earn your stripes, kind of thing. So, um, I think I've I think I've always been good. My time at Solihull was so difficult because there was no crowd. Yeah, there was no there was no crowd. There was, there was there was no atmosphere. So players could hear everything you were saying. So I probably felt that because it's that the the importance of winning in the three points. I probably thought at times I was probably talking too much, but then the right. biggest thing, the biggest thing was opposing managers influencing the officials and the fourth official. Mm -hmm. And I got myself, I got myself distracted on so many occasions in terms of finding myself that if I didn't speak to the fourth official, I didn't get involved in those conversations. The opposing team manager would get the upper hand and, and right. the game would pan out then that they'd start being favorable to decisions and, you know, would be at an unfair dis disadvantage. So I found it very, very difficult in the first, probably the first eight to 10 games whereby I was having too much involvement with the referee in the fourth and, you know, and, and, and that was distracting me. So my strategy was very, very simple. I knew that when I was a first team coach in that intense cauldron environment, mm. because I was sat down and I was removed away from the touchline, I could think clear, clearly and, and, and make my observations and, and calculate my... Um, my, my, my tactical evolving game plan, if you like. So, and that's, and that's what I did. So, you know, when I, when I felt, Jim, you need to sit down here, you know, you need to, need to bring yourself away from the emotions. 
I'd send Richard Beale up the assistant. I'd sit in the dugout, be a little bit calmer, get my notepad out and start to compile what's happening in the game. How do we go about changing it? What my halftime information is going to be, what it's going to look like, uh, what I'm going to show on the tactic board, et cetera. So just remove yourself from, you know, from the heat of the moment on being mm. really close to that touchline, you know, and, and sitting down, just, just, just strip away all, the, all those emotions and, and give me a clearer thought process. Obviously, you, you talked there about um, fourth officials. It's a really interesting point. Like, how much, obviously, you said not being involved as a coach, you found, you know, it was difficult and decisions might go. But how much do you sort of get from the fourth officials and the referees? Because, obviously, as, as, a, as a supporter, you know, like, especially with, what obviously, West Brom VAR this season, sometimes, well, it's been screaming at the telly mostly this year, you know, when decisions don't go your way. But... What 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 sort of response do you get from the fourth if you if you know if you see a decision that's clearly you know that's clearly you know gone wrong and it's not gone your way um, you know what what sort of discussions and chats do, can you kind of kind of have on the on the sideline? Well, that's pr- probably the most frustrating thing that it's wasted energy because a lot of the time yeah. you get nothing back from them you know and, and they're obviously going to going to stick with the mate who's is in charge of the game. Mm. The real frustrating moments are when they agree with you. Well, don't influence, don't influence it. You know, they're all mic'd oh, up wow. and, you know, they can, they can give that information and pass it on and they'll put their hand over the microphone and, and say, yeah, no, I agree. I've seen what you've seen, but that, that again, doesn't, wow. doesn't give you any, any advantage. The best people that I've seen influence a fourth official to gain advantages are Jonathan Gould, when he was goalkeeper coach at West Brom. Yeah. So, Goldie, I don't know if you can recall that dugout with Kempi and Tony and Ben Garner and, and Goldie. Goldie was brilliant. He was always in the ear of the fourth. Um, so he, he must have had a different tactic to I and, and, and more success. And the other one, he didn't necessarily do it at West Brom, but at Villa, and I'm really good friends with him, Neil Cutler, the goalkeeper coach at West Brom, yeah, uh, at yeah. Villa. I'm really good mates with him. But in them two playoff games, my God, did he wind me up. <laughs> did he wind me up. And, and, and again, he seemingly got, you know, he seemingly got the ear of the fourth who affected the game. And um, so, yeah, it, 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 can be, it can be really frustrating. But I guess having my time again, it was, you know, it's a lot of wasted energy. So, you know, it's some, something certainly I wouldn't do. You know, if somebody else on the, on the coaching staff want to make it their point to, to try yeah. and influence them in any way, shape or form, I'll pass that respons- responsibility on gladly because I never, I never got any success with it. <laughs> maybe that's something they should add to the pro license in future maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> well well jimmy it's been absolutely amazing to chat to you thanks again for your time this evening really, really really do appreciate it and uh, yeah i just want to say a massive best of luck um you know for wherever you um you know, wherever you end up next and yeah wish you all the success mate appreciate it thanks for your time <laughs>